0: Good morning, my name is Matthew, one of the pastors, it's a joy to gather with you this morning, it's a joy to worship Christ, to sit underneath his word along with you as well. If you are a guest, special welcome to you. If this is your first time in a Christian gathering in a long time, or maybe for the very first time, a special welcome to you, Uh, I want you to know that this is a safe place for you to struggle, to wrestle, to doubt, to ask questions as we all seek to, to learn and follow Jesus, our Savior. As we get older, things get familiar. Kind of like we've been there, we've done that, and we lose a sense of wonder at life, pretty much at everything. Everything gets stale. The, ple- the pleasure of, these wor- of this world gets stale. But children, there's a special gift that children have they never lose their wonder, they have fresh eyes for everything whether it's the first time that it snowed, like last weekend for our kids, one of the big first snows that they've been able to play in, or a nature hike, whatever it is, their eyes are full of astonishment and wonder at the world. We had the, the joy of taking our uh, three girls up to Acadia National Park this past summer, and we're out there in the, in the middle of the park, right? Light pollution is way down, and so we're able to see the night sky and all of its splendor and Glory and we're looking up there just as the sun is going down and we're able to point out each star one star at a time as it sort of points its way through that sky until there's so many stars you can't name them all. And we're sitting there and all of a sudden the Lord would bless us with a shooting star that would go across and their jaws drop and their eyes are open and it's a beautiful moment. But and what happens as the parents is you sort of enter into that joy and that astonishment of your children. It's, a, it's an incredible way that we as parents, we as adults, can sort of re-experience the wonder of life, the wonder of creation. But what's sad is, unfortunately, we begin to lose the wonder. We begin to lose the all. But the thing is, God has made us to never lose the wonder. We are not supposed to lose the wonder God has fashioned us in such a way that we would be drawn to wonder, that we were created to worship things, to to worship God. But what happens is we often look to the wrong thing to get our sense of awe and wonder. We worship the wrong thing. And when that happens, tragedy strikes. Disaster happens. Disorder happens. When we we aim that needle of our heart to something other than God, pain happens. We hurt others. We hurt others ourselves. And sadly, it's just too infrequent that we are in astonishment of God. But that's what God's calling us towards. He's calling us to himself. Before God wants anything from us, he wants us to be satisfied in his love, in his glory, his goodness. So that's where we're going this morning. We need help. We need help to orient our hearts, to orient our lives around God so that peace and joy and flourishing can happen. And this morning, Psalm 8 is a help for us. Just as we might vicariously enter into the joy of creation, the joy of a shooting star through some children, so this morning we're going to enter in through David, through David in Psalm 8, enter into his wonder and his astonishment of God. And hopefully by the power of God and his spirit, we would get there. Our encouragement this morning is to be in awe of God, simply to stop, to be still, and to be in awe of God. Let's pray for his help as we dive in. Father, thank you for your word that comes to us, that you are initiating relationship with us today. You're coming to us in the midst of all kinds of circumstances, all of our narratives that we got going, all of our stories, our anxieties our fears, our distractions, and God, we pray that you would give us a glimpse of yourself this morning. God, that you would raise our affections up off of this world and place them on you, the God who never stops satisfying us, the God who truly fills us with wonder when everything else in this world at some point begins to lose its shine. But our hearts be directed towards you this morning for the glory of your Son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So Psalm 8 begins, and it's our first encouragement, to be in awe of God's glory in creation. Be in all of God's glory in creation. Verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So David starts out in this verse and he is magnifying the praise of God. He's looking around. He's been looking around his, his life, his existence. He's looking in creation, and he's interpreting that data as, he come, as it comes in, he's, and he moves from an observer from a scientist, he moves to a worshiper. He's interpreting that data, that the data is not the end of everything, that data is coming to him through God. He says, "Oh Lord!" He puts the focus on God. He's he's reading everything through the lens of God. Oh, Lord, that Lord, all caps in your Bible, is the name for Yahweh. It's the revealed name that God gave the Israelites. This is my name, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. And David's saying, that's the God, you, God, the covenant-keeping God. Yahweh is the God whose name is majestic everywhere I look in the earth. Everywhere I look, he's looking at the mountains, the steep rock faces and the valleys and the canyons, at the rivers, the, the roaring rivers and the rushing and the roaring seas, right? The birds of the air, the flowers of the field. Everywhere he looks, the vibrancy, the colors, the seasons, everything that would inform his imagination and observation, he's saying, Oh Yahweh, you are majestic. Splendor, your splendor and your glory is shining through everything that I can see and experience. And his wonder and his astonishment is not constrained to the earth. He turns his gaze upwards. And it's likely he's talking about the night sky at this point. He turns his gaze upwards at the stars. The nighttime, David, his little shepherd boy, had a lot of experience out in the hills where there's no light pollution minus a little campfire lot of experience David has looking up into the night sky. This past Christmas, the U.S. helped launch the, the $10 billion new space satellite telescope, the James Webb. It's on its way out in orbit right now. It's the successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. And the Hubble blew our minds 30 years ago. The James Webb is supposed to blow our minds all over again and it's on its way right now, out into orbit. It's not even where it needs to get. I think it takes like 40 days for it to get to where it's supposed to get. One million miles away from Earth, that's where it's going to orbit and take pictures and stare off into space. It's amazing. And so what, what is this thing going to find out there? What's this telescope going to find? And we don't know all the specifics. I mean, that's why it's out there. The scientific community is on the edge of their seats waiting and wondering what kind of pictures is this thing going to take? It's like five, six, seven times the distance and the clarity of what the Hubble could provide. And regardless of what those specifics are, we don't know them, but we do know this. What the the telescope is going to find is more glory. If you look at it with the eyes of faith, it's going to provide us with more glory. Whatever that expanse is, whatever that picture is, oh Lord, your glory, you have set above the heavens Whatever we find out there, God, you are shining through it. You are shining through it. You are a big, awesome, powerful God. And David continues to articulate this power that he's experiencing in the earth and in the sky. And he says in verse 2, Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes, to still the enemy and the avenger. Now, while this verse is pretty challenging to understand exactly what David is referencing, one idea is really clear, that God's power is magnified through weakness. God is in the business of showing off his power through weakness. It's one thing to show your power through powerful things. It's another thing to show your power through weak things. It's like David... David would know this. I don't know exactly when this psalm was written. We don't know. But David having this experience when he's fighting Goliath, right? David, the little shepherd boy, no armor, just a little slingshot, going against Goliath, this huge giant full of armor. And David takes him down. And what happens in that moment? God's power is magnified through weakness. Right Or when LeBron James, if you play LeBron James in a game of one-on-one, you tie his ankles together, you tie his hands behind his back, and he still slams on you. <laughs> He's just magnified his skill, his power. And that's what God is doing. God is, God is so powerful. David is highlighting this. He's so powerful that he uses the weakest of things, babies and infants. He's ordained strength and praise from babies and infants to magnify his name and how great he is. God is an awesome God. He's a powerful God. And so David's looking around. He's looking, he's looking on the earth. He's looking up into the sky. He's looking to the weakest things on the earth. And he's saying, in all of it, God, your name is majestic. You are full of splendor and power and glory and might. He's in all. Where is this leading him? If you look at the expanse and these, this big power, this awe, is that an awe of God that's to be feared? Is this leaving, leading David to a place of, of incredible insignificance, unworthiness, place of fear? No, that's not where it's leading David. That's where we go for our second encouragement, to be in awe of God's goodness to humanity. Verse 3, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So David's looking up at this backdrop, this night sky, the moon and the stars, which God has put there with his fingers. So easy. It's just He's dotted the sky with these incredible realities. And then he begins looking at himself, looking at humanity. What is man that you are mindful of? What is humanity that you are mindful of them? He's looking up into this night sky, which we now, the known universe, is 96 billion light years across. 96 billion light years across. That really doesn't mean anything to us. A light year is 5.88 trillion, the distance that light travels in a year, 5.88 trillion miles. And there's 96 billion of those. The ruler we have to use to sort of chart our way through space is a light year. Are you kidding me? I mean, it just blows your mind, like you don't have a category for that and you set your glory above the heavens. The work of your fingers have done this? Oh, God. Oh, God, we are nothing. right? I want to to just show you this picture if we got it up here. This is called the pale blue dot. This was a picture taken in 1990 from from the Voyager, I believe. That little dot that just so happened to pass a light ray coming from the sun or coming from somewhere, that little dot is earth. And there we are. (laughs) And I had to zoom in that image big time. I hope y'all can all see it. (laughs) But the point is, you can hardly see it, and that's from one of our telescopes, The earth is sitting in space, in a big space, and it's a speck. And we're on that planet. We are on that planet. We're specks on a speck. What is man? What is humanity, God, that you would be mindful of us, that you would care for us? Two things David's sense of wonder and astonishment in all of God's goodness, God's mindfulness of humanity and his care for humanity. God is mindful of us this morning. He's thinking about you. Mindfulness is all the trend and rage these days, and it's this practice of being mindful of something. You bring something to your attention, your breath, or whatever, and they always tell you, hey, your attention's going to drift. Don't worry. Just bring your attention back to whatever it is you're focusing on. It's a practice that we have to do as humans because we are so limited, and our attention span is too short. I was just recently reading, our attention span has dropped in the last, like, decade from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. A goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. (laughs) We're not too impressive, are we? So we practice things like mindfulness, stare at something for longer than eight seconds. God's mind doesn't drift. He doesn't drift. He's thinking about you this morning, and he he never gets distracted. He never chases something else. Isn't it nice to get a note from somebody that says, hey, or a text, I've been thinking about you today. Just want you to know that I'm thinking about you. Isn't that nice to get a message that says that? God says through his word, I've been thinking about you since before the foundations of the world. I've already set my love on you before you were even born. Thinking about you. Love you only got good thoughts towards you, only want to do you good. The mindfulness of God scares us, that's where David begins to go, and the mindfulness leads to action, good action, the care of humanity, the care of humanity. God is thinking about us, and God wants to care for us, he wants to, he's being moved to action. It's not like us so often, you know, we think of somebody that we want to go do something good towards, like that's not God. When he has a thought about somebody, about you, he intends on doing good towards you. His will doesn't get short-circuited by anything. And so David, David here continues about this care. It's where the rest of the psalm goes. Verse 5, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Pause there. Takes, David taking, takes us back to creation here. He's taking us back to creation where Adam and Eve are formed. They're fashioned. God fashions them. and Something very unique is happening in the creation of man that's different from everything else. It's different from the animals. We're made a little lower than the heavenly beings, or that could also be translated God here. And we're a little above creation, above the animals. And so we have this spiritual nature and this nature that's kind of like the animals. We're set apart from the animals. We're given what we call the image of God. We are made in the image of God, that God is uniquely sharing His nature with us. Not that we would look like God in, the, in, in our flesh, God nobody can see, But in our hearts, in our our spirits, we are made in the image of God. And there's lots that we could explore, what that means, the rational facility, the the, the rationalities of man, the, the thoughtfulness, the ability to reflect. There's lots that we could talk about. But David wants to focus on one thing here. The glory and the honor that man has been crowned with. Man has been crowned. Nothing else has been crowned with this in creation. But humanity, when I'm saying man I'm referring to humanity, humanity has been crowned with God's glory and honor. It's not coming from us. It's not coming from us. We were we were given this glory and honor from God to be in relationship with God. He's sharing his glory and his honor with us. It's where it's coming from, and we're able now to relate back to God, and we're able to represent and to shine His glory and honor to the world. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. And there's also this idea of, of sort of the crown here, this essence this essence and and, and identity, even role and responsibility. You've been crowned. Humanity is crowned. There's a significance here with God's glory. You have dignity because you're made in the image of God and you, you shine with God's glory, whether you know it or not. Glory and honor has been stamped on your being and part of that is this role, this kingship of ruling and having dominion over the earth. It's very unique place that God has put us, and David continues to, to articulate what that looks like, verse 6 through 8. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. David's saying, God, you are mindful of humanity, and you've given us your earth. We didn't make it. You gave us your glory and your honor, and now you've given us your earth. You've placed your earth underneath our feet and given us this dominion, uh, responsibility, yes, but also privilege, joy. It's a joyful stewardship that God has given us. It's a gift to humanity. Here's your home, and here's your dominion. It's perfect, it's perfect for us. and it's underneath our feet. Underneath our feet. Responsibility and stewardship. To enjoy, but to rule, to rightly rule. Not abuse, but to rule well, to rule according to God, to rule in the path of His commands, to take care of our home, that it would shine with the glory of God as well. So David Sort of to sum up here where we're at so far. He's thinking, what is man? you're mindful of him in, in this way and you care for him in this way. I mean, everywhere I look, as far as I can see and everything I think of, your majesty and power is everywhere. And yet you care for us and you've given us this precious gift of the earth. And you're thinking... It's amazing. David is full of wonder and astonishment. astonishment. So he repeats at the end, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He can't get over it. David cannot get over it. What's your sense of awe and astonishment at God this morning? When's the last time you walked out into the night sky and looked up and just stood in awe? Since the last time you were just in wonder at creation, went on a nature hike, did something, stood still, and just looked around and said, wow, God, you're amazing. You are amazing. But if you're like me, it's like sometimes, <laughs> not a whole lot of majesty out here. I mean, have you looked around? Like, David, have you, have you turned on the news feed I don't see a lot of majesty of God and His splendor everywhere. Actually, where I look, I see devastation. I see devastation in myself, I see devastation in others, I see devastation in the world. A lot of it, an overwhelming amount of devastation, actually. Evil, all kinds of trials, natural disasters. So it's like, David, so what is going on here? What are, you, what are you doing in this psalm, David? Are you blind to reality? No, he's not blind to reality. He's already talking about there being enemies in verse 2. David knows full well that things are not all well in the world. David is seeing in part, and he's seeing with the eyes of faith. He's looking beyond the natural data that's coming to his eyes, and he's seeing it with the eyes of faith to interpret it from God's perspective. He knows things are not all well. And things are not all well because we as humanity created to rule over this world, Adam and Eve in the garden were given that precious responsibility and that joyful responsibility, and they absolutely blew it. We in them blew it. Humanity has blown it. We've not stewarded ourselves or this world well. When they disobeyed God, it all flows from sin. When they disobeyed, disobeyed God, the dominion was lost. And it was handed over to Satan. It was handed over. Humanity no longer has any ability to rule we are ruled and a curse comes on us and on creation as Satan gains the upper hand and this present age is ruled by his dark powers of evil in the heavenly places David knows this Again, I don't know when this was written, but David would experience that. To sin with Bathsheba, being ruled by his flesh. The Apostle Paul would know this. He articulates in Romans 7, the the thing that I want to do, I can't do. The thing that I hate, that I don't want to do, that is the thing that I keep doing. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Being ruled by the flesh. And if we're honest, that's us today too. We don't have power. We don't have the power to be holy. We can't do right. We've lost it. We do the thing that we don't like. Whatever our standard is, even if it's not God's standard, We still blow it, and we're still failures. So it's like, okay, well, where does that now leave us? David, are you crazy? Like, How does this work? David's not just seeing in part and seeing by faith. He's also speaking prophetically. There's one place, and specifically one person, we can look where we find that devastation no longer exists where we can find that pain and suffering is all gone. And that person is Jesus. That's our third encouragement to all this morning, is to be in, be in awe of God's grace in salvation. Be in awe of God's glory in creation, His goodness to humanity, and finally, His grace in salvation. This is where Psalm 8 is pointing us. Matthew chapter 21 would pick it up. Jesus is just coming, into, uh, he's just coming into Jerusalem. It's the triumphant entry. It's Palm Sunday. He's coming in, and he goes straight into the temple. And what's he doing? He's, he begins to clean house literally. Right? There's all these money changers in there, and he cleans it out. They've turned this temple into something that was never meant to be. It appalls God, and he cleans the temple. What's he doing? He's restoring worship He's restoring worship in the temple. What else does he, does he do? He heals the blind and he heals the lame. He is restoring the created order in that moment. Restorer of worship and a restorer of creation in this moment. And then what happens? Children begin shouting. The children begin singing and celebrating. Hosanna, praise God. Hosanna to the Son of God. Look what Jesus is doing, Jesus of Nazareth. Look what the Messiah is doing. He's here. The one has come that we have longed for all these years. They're shouting. But that makes some people really, really mad. The Pharisees. They don't like it. They become indignant. And they want them quiet. But Jesus decides he's going to quiet them instead. How does Jesus quiet the Pharisees? How does he silence them? He silences them with Psalm 8. Have you not read? You teachers of the law, have you not read what's going on in this moment? He has ordained strength and praise from the mouths of babies and infants. That's what the scriptures were doing in Psalm 8. Testifying about me. He's saying, I am the one to whom all praise is pointing, to whom all praise belongs. I am that person. I am God here in this moment. And he's testifying, my power is made perfect through weakness. God's strength is magnified through weakness. That theme would be carried on in Jesus' life as he goes to the cross. And a perfect display of that theme. Power magnified in weakness. Where Jesus goes in perfect obedience to a cross to suffer and to die. And it's on that cross that all the enemies of God are silent. It's on that cross in vulnerability and in suffering in absolute weakness and absolute just refuse that we turn our eyes and we don't even want to look on that thing. It's the worst thing ever. And God says, through that, I magnify my strength. That's how powerful I am. I will silence the enemy and I will save a people through a bloody cross in my son. Christ goes willingly to lay down his life for that. Nobody takes his life from him. He does it on purpose. To save a people and to silence an enemy and to glorify his father in heaven. This morning, the accuser that stands to taunt you about how sinful you are and about all your failures and about how awful you are, that voice has been silenced on the cross of Christ. It has no merit for you anymore. When that accuser comes, you say with Paul, yes, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Yeah, you can accuse me, devil, But if you looked at Jesus, the righteous one dying in my place, he's already taken my punishment. God is satisfied with me on the basis of Christ. He's perfectly satisfied with us on the basis of Christ. The debt has been paid and the righteousness of Christ given to our account. The enemies of God are silenced. Hebrews would jump in. The writer of Hebrews would jump in on the celebration of this in verse one, tying sort of uh, chapter one tying creation and salvation together in Jesus. Paul uh, or the writer, I think it might be Paul, but the writer of it we don't know is uh, is celebrating and articulating that this person is far greater than the angels. This is a unique person. This is the Son of God, Jesus, the Christ, who is also the creator of the world. And he goes on in chapter two where our Our psalm comes up. Listen to verse 5. I think we have it on the screen here. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him... he he left nothing outside of his control. I want to pause there. This writer, you see what's happened? This is our text, but the writer is no longer talking about humanity, plural. The writer is talking about the son, singular. (laughs) The son, singular, and he goes on. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because, don't miss that, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. God comes in Jesus. He puts on his flesh suit and becomes fully human but he's also fully God. To do for us what we could never, ever do ourselves. To save us, to pay our penalty, to rescue us from the grip of the enemy. Why is Jesus crowned with glory and honor? He's crowned because of his death. He's crowned in his death. Why is he crowned there? Because he's victorious over all things. No one could stop him. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. All things have been put in subjection under him. He's conquered every foe, every enemy, the last enemy being death itself. And he comes out of the grave victorious. And he's also crowned because he is our king. And he has saved us. He has rescued us, a people in bondage. Tasting death for everyone. Church, an unbeliever this morning, Jesus tasted death so you don't have to taste it. If we believe, we will rise with Christ. Die with Christ, bury with Christ, and be raised to new life with Christ the grace of Almighty God. It's a gift. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to cause Jesus to come to this earth. He did it because he loves us. He did it because he's been thinking about us from before the foundation of the world and primarily thinking about his son, glorifying his son in a rescue mission as he saves people like us, sinners, by grace. You have been saved through faith. And all things are put underneath Jesus' feet. He ain't coming down from his throne. No name can rival his name. Jesus is on top of everything. And the beauty and the wonder is, is the church has been put inside of Christ. We, faith, we have faith in Jesus. We are placed in Christ. And if we are in Christ, as Ephesians would say, all things have been put underneath our feet as well. Even death. All rulers, all principalities. In the garden, we blew it. We lost our dominion. But Christ in salvation has regained and restored our image, the image of God that was marred like crazy. And he has restored our position in Christ in the world. Christ now reigns. He took back dominion for us. The story of salvation. We see this in part now, just like David, but one day we will see it in full because Jesus is not done with us. Praise God. He's not done with this world. Jesus is coming back and he's going to inaugurate a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more evil, no more tears, a new existence for the people of God under the right rule of Christ, where all things will magnify Christ. He will be the center of everything and His glory shining through and emanating through everything, including us, in fully redeemed, sanctified, glorified bodies. That's where we're going. Is your wonder, is your sense of awe this morning picking up, picking up with God? I pray it does. I hope it does. I hope it is. Right? This week, may we spend time meditating on God's creation saying, God, your glory is everywhere. May we look out in the earth, your majestic God, everywhere I Look. You are magnified. May we think and meditate on, may we open up our Bibles this week and read the Bible and meditate on the precious promises of God and more importantly, the precious person of Christ whom all those promises are yes and amen and be in all of the grace of God, all of his goodness, all of his glory, all of his grace. As we look forward to that day when we will say and we will proclaim, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We marvel at who he is and we marvel at his work in salvation. We thank you, God, for the gift of this earth. We thank you, God, for the, for the home that you have created, for the people that you have formed us to be a part of. And God, that we are made in your image to relate to you, to worship you, and to reflect you to others. God, we pray in the power of your Holy Spirit based on the sacrifice of Christ, we would enter into that even now, God, as we begin imaging you to one another and to this world. God, we ask that you would use Harvest Church to magnify your glory, your goodness, and your grace. May we worship you in it, May we enjoy it, and may we take it to the ends of the earth as we look forward to that great day when everything will be seen as you currently see it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we respond.